guys. Thanks so much for tuning in today to Let's Be Blunt with Montella. And I am really so happy to have my guest on today. My guest is a graduate of Rochester Institute of Technology and a Navy veteran who served as a technician and a helmsman on nuclear submarines. He's also an experienced cannabis entrepreneur and an expert grower, extractor, and product developer practitioner. He's designed and built cannabis manufacturing facilities in California, Nevada, and Colorado. In addition to his technical and scientific expertise, he's an artist with the cannabis plant and continuously envisioning and creating new products. He is the co-founder and president of Papa and Barkley, a cannabis wellness company. Please welcome my friend, Guy Rocourt, to Let's Be Blood with Montel. Thanks so much for joining me today, Guy. What's up, dude? Great. Thanks for having me, Montel. Nice to see you again. It's been too long. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry I missed you this season uh, on the slopes, but I'm looking forward to being outdoors because I think that's the only thing we can do the next winter. <laughs> well, let's hope that they they allow the slopes to be open next winter. I mean, they closed them this last year. Yeah. They may they, they they pull that again this year, man. It's going to be a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, but well, maybe we'll have to go in on our own bobcat or something. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely, go go and poach some runs. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so now how are you doing? Uh, look, I'm good. You know, I'm really excited, as I'm sure you are, that cannabis was deemed an essential business. It's a really nod to the, the efficacy of the products. You know, this COVID is so stressful and such a stressful time. If we had been shut down and people were denied the medicine, it would have been tragic. And so for the Cal, I don't know about other states, but, but for the state of California to say, hey, cannabis is an essential medicine, figure it out. And at first, you know, and, and I know in LA, they're still doing curbside pickup and deliveries have been enhanced. But the fact is, as a manufacturer, we've been able to continue to make great products. We've actually been able to release new products during COVID. Um, and yeah, our first focus is keeping workers safe, but cannabis being essential during this time has been the, just the number one thing that I just keep being thankful for, right? Because we're still allowed to go to work and provide these essential medicines. And as the stress of the nation is going up, having more safe access is, you know, a great balance to that, I think. Yeah, and it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a trip, especially as we look at this over the next couple of months and even through the election, because we do not have either in office right now or the potential to come in office people who are favorably predisposed to cannabis, though the vice president has made statements on uh, radio interviews that she's very much in support of cannabis. Her boss is not, has not been, and you know, only wanted to do silly things like, you know, basically decriminalize rather than actually, you know, de-schedule uh, and make available. Let's back up, though. Let's talk a little bit about your background, man, where you started at. You started out in the military. And uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Take well, us look, back I, down memory road. Yeah. So, look, I, you know, I grew, you know, with all that's going on in the nation, it's just so funny because I think about my journey um, starting in New York, which, you know, is diverse because it's a big city. I did not really understand where this nation was back in 1987 uh, as far as racism goes until I got into the military, right? Getting into boot camp, I realized, whoa, okay, this nation is a little bit different than New York City. There's different values that are held by folks. And I definitely got into some trouble with people that had some literally things, some, some viewpoints that I thought were in the history books, right? Cut to now, you know, I'm 49, you know, some 30 years later, and these viewpoints are still around. So that's a little confusing. But, you know, my military experience, during the military allowed me to get out of the city, okay? Um, I did qualify for an ROTC scholarship right when I enlisted, so I kind of knew that, but I was ready to enlist and just like being a good patriot and just wanting to be part of something bigger. Um, and I really appreciate my service because of that, because it broadened my horizons. And New York, New Yorkers specifically think that they're a microcosm of the world. You think you're worldly because there's a bunch of folks. But I knew nothing about the nation until I got and really started to serve 
in the military. That's when I started to understand, oh, these are the people of our nation. These are the different views. Um, and the military does a good job, I think, of you know, tending to different personalities and making things a little bit more even. While the military structure can be a little rigid and we can't apply that to like, let's say our businesses, um, that rigidity provides for some clear lines of accountability and you can kind of see the biases a little bit more clearly because they're, they're, they're obvious, right? Because it's like usually outside the regimental process. Um, but I, 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 look, that was the beginning of my transformation because that allowed me then to go to college Right. And once I was out of the city, out of my hometown, you know, even though New York's a big city, I was kind of a townie getting out of that into the military, going to college. started to just, you know, really broaden my horizons. Um, and then, of course, I got into entertainment and then I met you. And so, you know, that's just the whole long story. And then, of course, you know, you got me into just understanding the potential of the plant and advocacy. And now I find myself here. So <laughs> thanks. Yeah, absolutely. What did you get your degree in at college? Um, so I ended up getting a degree in film production. Um, I started when I left uh, the, you know, when I left the military, I was on submarines and I went in, I came to college thinking I would go back new power. Um, but interestingly enough, in my sophomore years when uh, the Soviet Union collapsed and I, like a classic young college person, thought, ah, maybe there's going to be peace on earth. You know, I did not understand the, the, the political workings of the Middle East and I didn't think that we'd be in perpetual war. I, like most people that grew up in the 80s, thought, oh, we have this Russian threat. That Russian threat is now over. You know, Bill Clinton's talking about downsizing. It all made sense at the time. Part of me does think that if I had stayed in, you know, maybe I'd have four bars on now and be at the, you know, on the bridge of some beautiful ship. Uh, but yeah, at the time, I just thought maybe the military is not as needed as it was uh, when I grew up in high school during the Cold War. Absolutely. Now, you know, you just, you you, you touched on it and you, you went past it real quick, but, you know, you did transition from the military to entertainment. You worked in my company with the Monto Media for quite a while, and then transition into the cannabis space. I want to talk. Let's talk a little bit about that because you were one of the we. I think well, not just you, but the two of us together were two of the. I think you know pioneers in this space back before it was vogue for anybody to even want to even consider. I, I, I talk about it now all the time on in this podcast. Is that back in 2000, long before people even understood what the word CBD meant. We were out looking for CBD products back then because I recognized the viability of it as a pain reliever back in 2001. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Look, Matt Montel, I think that, you know, I owe you a great debt in, in terms of just, you know, getting me into this industry and the, the work product, the thought product that you and I went through, uh, you know, during the late 90s and early 2000s are invaluable. We were speculating on a cannabis industry that was a dream. Like, you know, even though California had passed some laws and there was some safe access, there was, it, it just, it, it just wasn't ready. And we've been advocating and pushing for where we kind of are now. There's still a lot of work to be done, but yeah, for sure. Like we were thinking and speculating about safe access well before others were even, you know, people were still in the closet. Now everybody's coming out and everybody's got a checkbook. Everybody wants to get into the cannabis industry, but well before that, uh, we were speculating. And another thing that I always like to give you credit for is that concept of adult use, not leaving patients behind. That's something that we're focusing on now. So even with the drop of our gummies and all our products, cannabis is always going to be wellness to me. It's never going to be the way of alcohol. You know, we try to take an expanded view of wellness because that's the reality. Like even relaxing with cannabis is let's say you have no ailment and you just want to breathe out the stress of the day. It's going to be better than even let's say that glass of wine. Those are all things that we went over for years, like we saw this happening. We knew that it was the right thing to do. And it just took a long time for folks to catch up. And I'm so happy it's happening now. I really am. 
Absolutely. I think you, you nailed it too. Is one of the things that, that I think a lot of people don't understand is that a person who makes a choice towards cannabis versus alcohol or makes a choice to add cannabis to their regimen, maybe they may not think that they have an underlying medical reason, but that reason is probably medicalized anyway. And you hit it from relaxation to less anxiety to less stress to better sleep. All those things are medical, you know, priorities for some individuals, even though we may think it's an adult recreational use thing. So, you know, that's, that's to give people a little bit of an idea, though, of, of your transition, because there was a period of time when you know, I, I remember used to go out to the new place that you had. And, and you know, and, and we can talk about it now because I don't think it's, it, 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 it's, it puts you in any jeopardy. But like so many other people who were experimenting on growing and things, you literally had to do this from the ground up. I mean, me and I say the ground up, but I remember, you know, looking at a, at a grow of yours under a porch, man, which was really, yeah. you know, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I, you know, so as I transitioned working for Montel Media and working for Paramount, I, I had a choice. And, you know, I, I think about your first book, In the Eyes of the Law, I'm a Criminal. Like, you know, we didn't get into this wanting to be outlaws. Like, you know, both of us patriots served in the military, like, family first, nation first, those things are all top of mind. But the, the gift of America is the ability to push back against things that are incorrect. Cannabis prohibition was incorrect. It was not based on data. It was not based on science. Those things needed to come to light. And so, yeah, for a time, my advocacy work slipped into more commercial aspects in the 215 where we were providing uh, care or safe access to people who desperately needed it. I'm really proud of that work. Some people might want to say, hey, that wasn't to the letter of the law or you were outside the law. Look, I think that it's, I often say it's one of the most American things I've done. You know, I look at people like you, I look at my partner, Alex, who had Crohn's disease. I think of all the people that have uh, benefited from cannabis, whether I've helped them turn, on, turn them onto it or gone to the uh, dispensary on their behalf. These folks needed this medicine. It was the right call. I would never change it. You know, and yeah, if not us, who, right? We had to step up. We like, we like we were just talking about, we talked about it for years. It became so clear to me that safe access was the first thing that we needed. Cannabis needed to be readily available, not only for customers and, and, and medical patients, but also for the medical establishment to study. And I just never wavered from that. And even though at some points, the threat of jail and the, the threat, you know, as a person of color, just the burden that I put on my family continuing to grow and continuing to like want to push this movement forward uh, was a you know a bit onerous, but I'm, I would not change it for a minute, you know, because now on the other side of it, we're talking legitimately uh, with regulators and growing, the, growing our, our efforts. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I make sure people understand that you was my, was my caregiver in California and literally uh, many occasions was a provider for me in the sense that, you know, when I was really hurting and, and in need and couldn't find product, you know, I'd fly to California and you go to a dispensary and pick it up for me or you would get it for me. And I, 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 I can't tell you thank you enough. You know, as it literally is what kept me moving forward in my life. Yeah. Well, it, it was an you know, honor. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, now you, you transitioned from doing some things that, they where you say we're on the outside or right on the fringe, let's say on the fringe, and uh, got turned on to this company, Pop and Barkley. Talk about how that happened. Yeah. So look, I, I'm lucky to have what they call two bites at the apple, you know, right in 2011, because, you know, just the burden of the threat of law enforcement, I was able to start a small thing in Colorado. But what I realized working with those partners is, you know, when you get investment dollars, uh, you need to be aligned with those investment dollars. And if you're not, 
you're probably going to have a rocky road. I learned how passionate I was about safe access, about just destigmatizing cannabis and truth in cannabis. And my partners were really just more about making some money. So at least I understood a little bit about raising capital, about traditional business in those first few years in Colorado. Um, and then coming back to California and meeting uh, my partner, Adam, here was a gentleman that had some, uh, you know, financial ties to New York, but also had a real personal story with cannabis and didn't have what I call cannabis shame. Meaning it wasn't just about, oh, I can do it because it's legally had a real understanding that something is wrong here. Like we need to provide safe access to this plant shouldn't have all these this misinformation, all this stigma. So I immediately resonated with Adam. He already had the hero product, this bomb that he had made for his dad. And, you know, we thought about this company that would be, you know, in the light of doing for the ones we love. Right. We realized that cannabis is the most powerful when we share it with other people, right? Because there's somebody hurting, somebody in pain, somebody that's too stressed out, somebody that maybe needs to sunset off of Oxy or off of Xanax or something because that has some, some detriment to it. And sharing cannabis with folks became a real thing. And like, and one thing we say at Pop and Barkley is we like to own the first cannabis conversation because no matter how old you are or how reticent you are to cannabis, when I give you a topical and you put it on and you start to feel a little better, you're like, oh, this might be medicine. And maybe you might then try a CBD tincture. And then maybe you go down what we call the Pop and Barkley funnel as you get more and more products and lend yourself to the, the process. Another thing I learned with you, Montel, was that we can't have a healthcare system where a doctor just doles out medicine. If we're not actively involved in our meta, in, in our wellness, it's not going to work, right? So to me, cannabis is re-educating folks to realize, oh, you have to be part of, uh, of, of the journey. You, you know, you can tell me that plant-based medicine is inconsistent. And I'll say to you, if you get involved, you can make up that gap because you're now involved and it's unique to you. That's where the inconsistency is. So find your medicine. And luckily, the you know, natural medicines have a much lower uh, side effect. You know, not say that there are no side effects, but they're much more controllable than sometimes what we see on the pharma side. So you know, this transition was just natural because of our relationship and a lot of the work, like you said in the beginning, that we did. We visioned so much of this that uh, when I was meeting with folks, they'd often compliment me about my passion and my spark. And a lot of that is because what they didn't know is we spent many, many years talking about it over and over and over again. And the reason why I have such a cl crystal clear vision of needing to provide safe access and the normalization of cannabis is for many years, you and I boldly made it normal for uh, for each other and for everybody that came into contact with us. We were like, we will not accept this, this shame or this weird stigma around us. And I've been so blessed to be able to push that out even further. Yeah, I'm still working on that even now to, to today, trying to ensure safe access so, you know to me that was the, the most important thing of all, of all is making sure that people have an individual conversation with their doctor that nobody else gets to be involved in you don't get to be in, get involved in a conversation with a person's doctor when the person the doctor says hey i'm gonna burn you from the inside out and give you chemotherapy nobody jumps up to the plate and says oh wait a minute mary you shouldn't give them that chemotherapy shut the you know what up maybe you should be involved in that conversation and and the fact that, you know, no, outsiders shouldn't be in that. That's a conversation between a person and their doctor. And if a doctor says, I think cannabis works for you, then what right do you have to get in the middle of that conversation? And so I, I, I applaud you with the efforts that you made to, to make sure that, you know, the conversation stays true to form and true the way it's supposed to be. So now, you know, you are, you started off as the lead formulator for Pop and Barcade, right? Yeah. And that, that's now yeah. led you to the president of the company. Yeah, so look, we you know we've been going for about four and a half years now, and I've just taken a step up to be president and lead the day to day. Um, 
it's interesting. We have a somewhat cult-like personality in in uh, in Pop and Barkley specifically because we're not just trying to be a business. We are trying to be a part of a movement. You know that same movement that again you and I started, where everybody's realizing that this is about caring for the ones we love, right? This is about wellness um, first and foremost. And so every person on our team has either a personal story, their own story, or they shared it with, with a loved one. And that really galvanizes this team. So me stepping up as president, I, I know I have like the full team behind me as I run the day to day. I still am involved in formulations, but we're at that point now where I'm starting to work with other folks like uh, Monica Villapando and Linda Shea at Shea Organics, other people that share our philosophies, because one of the guardrails I put on Pop and Barkley was everything has to be clean and solvent free, right? So we don't use any solvents in any of our processing of our cannabis oils. We don't use any solvents or chemicals in any of the excipients. And I'm really proud about California. At first, it was a little bit hard that everything is tested final form, right? But because it is, that means every ingredient in there is tested to a level that's well beyond generally regarded as safe, right? So our essential oils, you know, you look at famous essential oil companies out there and we tested those things, they can't work. We had to go to the source to find clean, steam distilled essential oils that had no residual solvents, no residual pesticides. Same thing on our cannabis side, because we do no refining, it has to be worked at the farmer level. So these guardrails, I wanted to make sure they were firmly put in place. And now that when we, as I work with my formulation partners, they also have that same mindset of just clean, natural products, right? Um, that, that's, that's, that's really our, our focus. Wow, that's great. So now, and what, what are the products that you guys have out right now? So uh, our hero product is our bomb that comes in two ratios. And I, I always like to say that our CBD rich products that are available at the vitamin shop and online are exactly the same as the ones that we make here in, in, in California. We source our products, our, our flower products from, Cal from Vermont and Oregon, but those flowers, you know, even though the government wants to call, make a distinction, they are just good flowers that happen to have had the THC bred down, right? It's important to us that we use the right varietals that grow the medicine, that the trichomes are filled with, you know, the cannabinoids, terpenes, and other stuff. We also employ a direct lipid infusion that allows us to take out some of the green material, some plant fats, for, and that's for our hero product, the balm, and the massage oil, and the tinctures, right? So those products not just have your cannabinoids and, and your terpenes, but also have some of the green plant material, which is great for the skin and great internally. Recently, we started a skincare line, uh, and that is different than beauty. We want to make products that serve a purpose. So our massage oil was that first skincare product. We also have a lotion that's available on both sides, nationally and in California. And now we have a repair cream, which is a light face cream that is one of our strongest products at 10 milligrams per gram, but yet it's so light that it absorbs into your face. Amazing product. Um, recently, we just started into the edibles category. Uh, there was a lot of question around the brand, like, why would you get into edibles? And of course, to me, I'm like all wellness products, have, you know, it's about the messaging and the positioning, but I said, okay, we can raise the bar. And we looked at the marketplace and saw that nobody was doing a wellness gummy. And this was when I quoted you again, that here it is, patients are being left behind because there are folks like yourself that might need significant gram milligrams of cannabis. And do they need to eat all these other calories to get them? That did not make sense. So we were able to come out with a sugar-free gummy. Uh, one with gelatin, one vegan, all natural fruit, plant-based coloring, right? But now in a zero calorie treat, you can get your five milligrams. And if you need to be titrating those five milligrams throughout the day, you're not adding, you know, calories or sugar to your diet, right? Just a little thought to wellness around this, this, this offering was super important. You know, 
clearly maybe we'll come out with SKUs that you know have sugar or not or a little bit less wellness. But our first offering in the edible category we wanted to make sure it was on brand. Uh, in September, we're coming out with chocolate. We partnered here with a local chocolatier in Humboldt, uh, and we'll be having chocolate offerings. We're the first cannabis company to get the fair trade seal on our chocolate. You know, we do try to do. Look, Bontel, you know, like this cannabis movement to me is part of a larger, greener movement, right? It is about knowing better. Once we saw the inconsistencies around cannabis, it calls to mind, well, what else are we not paying attention to? What else is we, as a society, are we just acquiescing to misinformation and not fighting back against? And so a lot of the things that are happening here in Humboldt around regenerative farming, around protecting the land and the watershed, and just, you know, the greener movement that is that cannabis is part of is something we try to pay attention to. So, you know, having things be fair trade, making sure that we give 1% back to the planet, those things are all part of our ethos. That's great. Unbelievable. And now, now you're, you are in dispensaries for your THC products in California. You are across the nation for your CBD products. Where do people go to get some? So you can come to popandbarkleycbd.com for our online. And we have a full suite of products there. And then we're in vitamin shop. We're about to be in Wegmans. We're in about uh, 500 retailers uh, in certain cities. Uh, we're in MedMen in the front of their stores, both on Fifth Avenue and in Nevada. And there was a couple of uh, small retailers, but if you go to the website, it'll tell you if there's a retailer near you. Clearly, Vitamin Shop is throughout the nation, so typically there's a Vitamin Shop. And then, of course, if you want to just get it directly to your mailbox, you can order. And then here in California, we're at about 85% of the dispensaries. Um, and so, you know, just ask for us at the dispensary if you don't see us. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, look, I got to pay a couple bills real quick. So I'm going to count us out for just a quick second. And uh, then we'll come back up. Right, you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And today's guest is the president and this, uh, the, not CEO, the president and the co-founder co-founder of Pop and Barkley, Mr. Guy Rocourt. And we'll be back with him in just one second. I'll be back right after this. Well, we're back, and you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And today's guest is a true cannabis entrepreneur who's been in this business now for about, now I'm telling you, as long as I have. Uh, his name is Mr. Guy Rocourt. He is the founder and co or co founder of, and the CEO, I'm sorry, co founder of, and the president of Pop and Barkley, which is a cannabis wellness company. And it's built around the idea of ensuring that you put patients first, put, take patients off the battlefield, put patients first. Can't thank you enough for being a part of, you know, today's let's be blown Montel, sir. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having me, Montel. It's definitely an honor. Sure. So now tell me what this term Kumaphos means. So Kumaphos is a pesticide that was in the second wave of uh, MRSA testing here in California. It's actually not used actively as a pesticide. It's used to inoculate bees so that they get, because they get mites and it was widely used and is generally regarded as safe. However, because we test in final form here in California, all of a sudden when the second layer of testing comes on, all our products start popping that have beeswax in it, our bomb specifically for Kumaphos. And I'm like, well, I'm not putting that in there. It's, and of course we test our cannabis, we test our infusions. So we start testing everything and come to find out, okay, it's in the beeswax. We go out, we test a bunch of bee products, and this thing isn't everything. But again, I can't stress that it's generally regarded as safe, but it's prohibited for as a pesticide on cannabis, so it couldn't be in our products. So we had to search high and low for somebody that didn't use uh, Kumaphos. And while a lot of people have stopped using it because it actually proved somewhat ineffective to uh, inoculating the bees, it stays in their comb for up to seven years. 
So we had to find wow. a, B, a B provider that was remote enough and also had stopped using it so that we could get the cap wax. Luckily, we partnered with a, a bee farm in Oregon that's like 30 miles away from any road or civilization and specifically grows these wild bees. And now we get the cap wax and we buy it by the year. Um, one thing I always like to say is on the national market, we're not tested the same way and we could have used our same beeswax, but you know, we have this term called best in class, which we define as if you know better, you have to do better. Well, we know that we can get clean kumaphos or we can get uh, beeswax that's clean without any kumaphos, even if it is trace amounts. So we do that. So our CBD products that you might find online or in the vitamin shop are exactly like the ones in California. They use this awesome beeswax that we get in big caps and we have to melt it ourselves. We have to strain the bees out ourselves, but it is magical stuff. It's funny that we were getting high quality beeswax from our, 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 our ingredient provider. I thought that was amazing. But after getting the real cap wax and having to filter it out ourselves, just the way it makes our facility smell is magical. So that's our approach to everything. It's like the minute you tell me there is a better way, I am now burdened with that knowledge and obligated to try to do better. That's, the, that's our just that's, approach. That's unbelievable. That, that should be the, the industry standard right now, rather than, you know, just one company doing it, but I'm, I applaud you for doing that. You know, now what's the most important thing or aspect you think in the product manufacturing process? Hmm. So for us, I think it's, well, it's quality first. And for us, it's the ability to pick up with the zeitgeist, right? We are making products in a way that the whole world has gotten to. Folks are looking under the hood already, right? Clean products, organic products, fair trade products, products that don't take away from the land, you know, just really thinking it through. That's, all, that's already in the zeitgeist around other products. Um, we could do like other, other folks and just have a race to the bottom where we're using isolates, where we're just basically making basic formulations because cannabis is so novel and the, the education amongst consumers is not as high as it should be. So if you have some branding and you offer a product, folks might buy it, but that's not good enough for us. We felt that like we could pick up where this green movement already is, right? I know that people want stuff that comes from the farm. I know that folks will resonate with when I say that instead of going to aggregators, I go to individual farmers and I'd rather have the burden of having a relationship with over 300 small farmers in Humboldt and, and Humboldt and the Emerald Triangle, right? So Trinity and Mendo counties. I'd rather do that work than allow some big house to just aggregate cannabis, marginalize the farmers because we're evolving from that as a nation, right? I don't want cannabis to go the route of some other things with monocropping and big conglomerates sucking everything up and kind of defining what the marketplace gets. That's not fair, right? Um, we have to push back against those things um, and so that, that, that's like our first, like our ethos is we are part of a larger green movement, a movement that knows better, right? And while education is just now being pushed out to the rest of the nation and folks are starting to cotton on that, hey, we can't, this abundance that we have sometimes needs to be tempered. I'd rather have two really good apples than a bag of cheap apples, right? I feel that folks are starting to think like that uh, about their other products. And as a cannabis company, we wanted to pick up the bar right there. But it seems like you know, right now we're in the middle of this COVID where, you know, it 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 has it definitely, you know, put a clamp on the industry, I think, and making it, you know, for other providers, it is easier to go to the conglomerate. It's easier for them to just go and go to somebody who's sourced something for them rather than take the extra step. How long do you think it's going to take for us to clean this up? I mean, first off, we got to clean up COVID. And I don't know when that's going to happen. 
Well, look, so, you know, we, we're building out an, uh, what I hope is going to be the first GMP facility here in California for our California products. We use GMP manufacturers on the, uh, on, on the national side. And look, typically, when you are a products manufacturer, you do want to have a great co-packer, right? And there are great co-packers on the national side that do great national products and have that mindset. But here in California and other states that have cannabis, not yet. There are not a lot of outfits that are looking to be that white label manufacturer. And not that we're looking to do that, but that are not manufacturing products with the intent of that high bar of quality. Another thing that we've realized is that we need to set that quality level, right? Because like, you know, if you think, look at the wine community, there's all kinds of nuances. Yes, you can get two buck chuck, but you can also get a thousand dollar bottle. Folks who understand wine know all the nuances and complexities from the vineyard all the way to that thousand dollar bottle. Well, if we don't establish that nomenclature and that hierarchy here in cannabis first, right, then what could happen is not unlike cigarettes, everybody just will have one kind of tobacco. That's what you get. That's what this is. And that's not good enough for me, right? We need to set the levels of quality. Sure, I think that there's going to be some products that are in the lower range that are just, you know, for fun or for whatever, but understanding what high quality cannabis is and the value behind it, we need to set those levels now before the industry gets too mature or gets away from us. And, and speaking of before the industry gets away from us, what do you what do you see in the industry? And in, I mean, things could all change on November second. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> gonna say could all change on November second, and that means you know, if let's say uh, Biden goes in office and he does something stupid like, you know, just decriminalize, you won't you'll see a mad rush into the industry with institutional money that won't care what product they put out. Yeah. That, you know, it, it, it's such a funny double-edged sword, Montel, because think about it. 20 years ago, we were dreaming of, of a president doing that, of these things happening. But now, yeah, the threat is real. And the, the, the funny thing is, you know, I won't, I won't even say any terms, but let this outside money, whoever we know who the people are, they want to come in and do things that have done in the past, use IP, corner the market, make, you know, use their money to like make specific verticals that they own that others can't get into. And those habits, we're also evolving from those business practices as a nation, you know, as a nation, we're starting to encourage people to hold corporations accountable, right? That has to be front and center in cannabis. And I fear descheduling now, because I used to think it was a dream, but if it happens in not the right way, there is a chance that money just comes in and just whitewashes, right? So here I am a small provider trying to have an educational lift to speak to people transparently about cannabis, but I could have another company with enough money flood the market with misinformation just for their own financial gain. That's the fight we're still in. So as far as we've come, the fight is still real. And now things that we dreamed of might actually be dangerous, right? A, a broad descheduling without some guidelines could be bad, right? If we don't, if, if the federal government doesn't deschedule and decriminalize and also put guidelines in terms of how uh, big pre-existing uh, industries come into this, we're going to have a problem. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, uh, when, when we look at it from the standpoint, I mean, first off, if good institutional money could help companies like yours expand, but the biggest problem, I think, and you hit it twice, is information. And education. We've been doing a lot, I think, in the last four or five years in B2B education, uh, you know, business to business education and, and refining and making sure that we, you know, set a standard. Though there's been a lot of people leaving fingernail marks down the highway 
you know, I think the majority of companies now providing oils and providing tinctures have now recognized the fact that they got to clean up their act. They got to clean up the process from the beginning to the end. So we got that. At least we're making some headway there. But what scares me even more is the fact that we're not taking the time to educate the consumer. You know, we still have, you know, most people don't understand. And I think it's, it's hard for people to get a grip around. People think that, you know, the entire movement has been built on the backs of, you know, the young generation who just wants to get high. It has not. The reason why these laws have been passing has been because there's baby boomers that reach ages, you know, and are in positions of authority in city legislatures and state legislatures that say, you know, wait a minute, I remember I had smoked a little bit when I was in high school. I ain't that bad for you. So let's go ahead and pass a law. So now those who actually implemented the legislation to allow for cannabis aren't being serviced by the industry where we know that right now, probably the number one consumer of products would be baby boomers and all and beyond. It's the older generation that needs to get off of 25 different medications that are pharmaceuticals and use something less caustic, but we're not even attempting to market them. We're not even attempting to educate them. What do you say about that? What do you think we need yeah. to do? You know, I, I had this conversation with, you know, other folks who are, you know, this industry is, we're never going to have Bud Light. Like this is not, that's it. it Cannabis dispensaries are called dispensaries. There's an innate wellness bent to cannabis from day one. So even as, as we have adult use, I, I try to avoid the word recreational because it's not, this is not like alcohol. Like if you're right. using cannabis to your point earlier, it's probably because you have something going on. Like, yeah, maybe your anxiety wasn't at the, at the, at the um, Xanax level. It's probably at the cigarette level. Maybe you're drinking too much coffee, right? Whatever tensions in the day, cannabis can help those things, right? Cannabis is always going to have a wellness vent, hence the term dispensary. We can't lose sight of that. And there's so much money coming in trying to make it like the alcohol market. They want to get this like Bud Light feeling. How can we make the party happen? And it's not like that. Right. And usually when you're talking to these folks, you can see the disconnect. You're like, oh, you haven't used cannabis because you still think that it's some nefarious drug that people just end up partying all night on. And that's not that's not the case. Right. You, you right. just don't realize that, you know, and you're right about the uh, the boomers in, in uh, the Coachella Valley. We have our, our snowbirds, which I missed this summer, although it seems like a lot of them figured out how to get there during covid. That senior community has established this thing that we call the Papa and Barkley Funnel. They come in, they don't know, they can use a bomb, then tinctures, and they slowly walk down the funnel using different products. And then we get stories of, well, I used to take, you know, 10 Advil a day, now I don't take two, right? I used to have to take an Oxy at night to go to sleep, now I just take your, your CBD tincture, right? Little baby steps to just change the diet, change the regimen for the best, right? You know, as far as the cancer thing, I, it's like anybody calls us and says, hey, I'm going to chemo, we're sending you a care package, right? Because I know for a fact that if you're sitting in chemo and you're having oxys that are, you know, stopping you up so that you can't eat, not doing anything for your nausea or appetite, and you're getting bombarded by the chemo, that's a recipe for disaster where enter cannabis to mitigate the nausea, mitigate the pain, and give you an appetite so you can eat and be strong. That's how you beat cancer, right? And it's a shame that there are folks right now sitting in the chemo uh, therapy that are not having access to cannabis and they don't have this ability to win that battle because the, the Norcos and stuff that they're, they're being provided are not adequate, right? That's something I wish we could solve across the board right now. Um, yeah, so, you know, cannab this cannabis movement is a wellness movement. 
it's always been a wellness movement, medicinal, you know, whatever it was medical dispensaries, medicinal marijuana, whatever you want to talk about it. This has always been a wellness thing. And, you know, the concept that we can take it and make it like recreational Bud Light party time is not even on the table as far as I'm concerned. And we, you were also realizing, though, again, and you guys are probably doing a lot of work in this, this area at Bob and Barkley, is the fact that, again, we are only just barely scratching the surface of this plant. You know, we know that there, there are doctors or scientists who have already designated now that they've discovered well over 160 cannabinoids, and we're only trying to talk about two. And every now and then we get the three and four, CBG, CBN. You know, how about THCA, which we know the acid form right now, we know is probably the 20 times stronger than any anti-inflammatory we have in the marketplace. So some recent double blind, I'm sorry, some recent peer reviewed uh, written uh, paper about the fact that, you know, THCA and CBD and CBG may be better anti-inflammatories for uh, respiratory inflammation caused by COVID. Now, I mean, you know, it, it's ridiculous that we're not looking into the value of this plant the way we should be. And especially right now where we're facing, I mean, we're throwing everything else at the wall. I mean, hell, you know, you got a president asking, got a mattress guy talking about under. I mean, come on, man. I mean, we have a product that's been available and been around for now thousands of years and been used medicinally for thousands of years. And we don't understand why it's been used that way. Yeah, agreed. You know, we created a product, uh, that THC thing, we're big believers. Uh, we have a product called the Living Tincture, where we take fresh flowers, right? And now the, 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 the awesomeness about fresh flowers, which is a new part of the movement, is it has a much more complex terpene profile, lots of CBG, which is a precursor to most cannabinoids in there. And what we do is we take those fresh flowers, we freeze them at the farm, and then we gently soak them in the coconut oil at less than 100 degrees. So we try to keep it into those raw food uh, parameters, right? Not cooking it at all. We squeeze it off. And what you get is a green, fresh, 99% THCA tincture. And yeah, it's amazing because patients, especially those who have THC sensitivity, can take more milligrams and not worry about uh, psychoactive effects. At certain right. levels, eventually your liver will change it up a little bit, but you can take high milligrams of THCA to get those great benefits. And, you know, I mean, again, we're starting to realize and understand that, you know, the first six weeks of the plant before it flowers, it, the highest uh, uh, available cannabinoid is CBG. And yeah. CBG is what turns into THC, THCA, CBD, CBDA. So we, if we started, you know, really understanding the science behind the plant, we would be harvesting, you know, five-week-old plants before yeah. they flower and actually extracting as much of that CBG as we can possibly extract and utilizing that in combination, like you were saying earlier, being able to extract in individual cannabinoids and then go back and reformulate things that are maybe, you know, high CBG, high CBD in combination. Those two may end up having, you know, a taxi cab or an accelerant component to the CBD, yep. which helps to yep. permeate the cell walls even better. Agreed. Yeah, look, we know for a fact that, uh, the concert effect or the entourage effect is a real thing. We're trying to break it. We're trying to get our head around it, you know, uh, scientifically. But I like to keep as much in the product as possible. That is our first move. But going forward, har harvesting early is a thing we're looking at because there's already evidence that CBG, your ECS is smart enough to see that cannabinoid and do what it needs to, right? So having the precursor cannabinoid allows your ECS to start to break that up itself into CBD and THC, determining on what your body needs, right? This ECS right. thing is a, a miracle. You know, uh, as a patient with an autoimmune disease that 
our body, you know, fighting itself is regulated by the ECS. We, right, we, we kind of understand that there's something there. Unlocking how it works exactly could be the key to figuring out how to abate autoimmune diseases. And I think cannabis is at the center of that conversation. You know, it's going to take bigger minds than ourselves to really get into it. And I, that's what we need from the federal government is not decriminalizing, but unleashing these minds, not for profit, right? Because I don't want farmer to come in here and try to monetize the plant. I want scientists to come in here and do what's right to try to figure out how to solve big questions. Right? And you've already, we've already seen in the last couple of weeks, there's been a peer reviewed document out there where big farmers come in and rather than try to use the natural plant are going after trying to synthesize again. And we went down this path 20 years ago with something called Marinol that we figured out didn't work. And the reason why it didn't work is because, you know, the endocannabinoid system didn't recognize that synthesized molecule. It only recognizes the natural molecule, but it's going to take these guys getting smacked upside the head again after they waste billions of dollars to understand that they made a dumbass mistake. Yeah. And that, that's what, that's one of my fears is like the allure of it's a double, a double-edged sword. We've done so well promoting how great cannabis medicine is that now folks see dollar signs and they're seeing dollar signs instead of efficacy, instead of solving the problem. And, and that, that, that's not good, right? Plant-based medicine might be inconsistent, but I would rather work with farmers to produce more CBG, to produce more ratios at the plant level, because there's something about holistic plant-based medicine and its uh, side effects compared to when we go to single source API. I think the thing that pharma has to come to terms with is when you do single source API, yeah, it's easier to test and understand that and get targeted effects. But typically there's up to 40% of the people that don't respond to those targeted effects and instead manifest these side effects that sometimes have death and shingles and all this craziness. Whereas on the natural plants, natural medicine side, while you may not be able to get exactly targeted effects, you have a very low incident of side effects. And now, to me, the solve there is the patient has to step in and really get involved in the plant, natural plant-based conversation to find what works for them. They can't expect pharma to come up with a single source API for a specific indication and say, here's the pill that's going to solve your problems because that has not worked. It just hasn't worked. We just got it hasn't worked, hasn't worked for anything. And, you know, I think you're nailing up the idea of, you know, it's time for people to take responsibility for their own individual health care footprint. You know, yeah. it's no longer days where you can go to a doctor and he's going to say, well, you take 100 milligrams of this. How did you know 100 milligrams was the right number for me? It should have been 62. It could have been 27. It could have been 41. Well, if I were titrating myself and starting out at a lower dose myself, I would know where my threshold is. You know, it's like Goldilocks, man. That's why they call, you know, the ECS, the endocannabinoid system, the Goldilocks system, because, you know, it keeps cellular homeostasis, not too hot, not too cold, but just right. When it's not just right, that's where we get all these illnesses. And we start to realize that in the last century, you look at where, you know, the rise in so many autoimmune diseases started to come was in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and taking off 70s, 80s, 90s, and now 2000. It started because we banned a product that was being consumed probably four or five days a week through some sort of porridge or some sort of milled flour and being used in food. So we were actually consuming hemp and because we recognize it as such a powerful protein source. Yeah. but didn't recognize all the cannabinoids that were actually benefiting that system that was built and genetically made to receive it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That, that that's, it's such a good point. It's like I, people take for granted that this prohibition 
is new and that, you know, hemp, ditchweed, these things that grew alongside all our other plants were making it into it. You know, they were, even if they were being used as feedstock, it's like there's just so much potential that was eliminated during prohibition. I recently found that, uh, actually I'm talking to him today, there's a bee provider that uses cannabis and the bees actually feed on it and cannabinoids end up in the honey, right? So to your point, 100 years ago, were there bees flying around interacting with cannabis, people using honey, that honey unbeknownst to them had all these other cannabinoids and cannabis products because it was just naturally available. And we just removed that, vilified it and removed it from the from, from the environment. And then we see an uptick of all these different things. Some of it is modern society, but some of it is also the abatement of natural medicines and the replacement of natural medicines with just things for profit. Again, look, I've been scaling this business and I get it. It's so much easier sometimes to do things in a streamlined, ultra-refined, ultra consistent fashion, and giving into consistencies, giving into the, the, you know, making your production process less difficult by cutting corners, that those days are over. We have to raise the bar on the quality of our products. And yes, it is harder to do things naturally. It is harder for the farmer to make sure that they grow clean stuff so that I don't have to over-refine it and pass that on to the consumer. But that is the right answer. That's what we have to demand. Absolutely. So what's next for Gee and Pop and Barkley? So, you know, next for Pop and Barkley is, like I said, we're getting into the edibles. We are looking at trying to figure out other states where we where we remain with bated breath, looking at what's going to happen uh, coming here in November um, and how it works in other states. Uh, you know, we, we're going to continue to expand our national line uh, and really just continue to push this education. I mean, we, we continually look for partners to help us on the educational lift because that's, that's what it's about, educating consumers about what quality cannabis is. I always say that if we're formulating things with truthful cannabis science, that's all that matters. So that if somebody, regardless of the brand, if you just read up and you start to understand, oh, the trichome is where the medicine is. This is what the medicine can do. This is how the plant grows. And you really understand cannabis, you'll naturally find our products because we are looking to be truthful in what we know about cannabis science right now. And also looking to the future as we get more knowledge because this plant, as you know, is relatively untested. And we know we've seen miracles. You know, we've seen the miracle of Rick Simpson oil in terms of tumor abatement, super strong. What is there? You know, we've seen, we have lots of anecdotal, anecdotal stories of like miracles happening. What is that combination for each individual? How do we get each individual to unlock that power for themselves? Those are things that are in our future. You know, in addition, of course, coming out with great products and iterations, we'll be coming out with a warming balm at the end of the year that has menthol and Yes, some of that is the lawyers saying, oh, use this OTC menthol product. You'll be able to put arthritis on the package. I, it doesn't matter to me what's on the package. It matters to me that it works first and foremost. And I tell them that all the time. You know, I, I have to remind them that they're speaking to somebody that was not allowed to even talk about what they did. Right. So to me, as long as the product works, that's all that matters. If we can make claims, if we can. Uh, no, if you tell me that adding a little menthol might help. Uh, the cannabinoids penetrate and help a patient, then I'm going to do it. If you tell me that menthol is just going to add to my bottom line, it's not as interesting. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, man, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt today, Guy Brocourt. And you know, you always got a home here whenever you want to come back and we'll get the word out for you. You got something you want to talk about, come on back to us. And, you know, honestly, reach out to me. And if you need some help with uh, getting the word out, I will be more than happy to be involved. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Martel. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to catch up. Absolutely, my friend. Well, you've been listening to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And today's guest was Guy Roquart, Roquart, who is the president and co-founder of Papa and Barkley. You can find it at, why don't you tell them the website so we make sure Papa they get Barclay, it. 
Yeah, poplinbarkley.com and poplinbarkleycbd.com. There you go. So you knew you heard it here, poppinbarkleycbd.com, going up and make sure you get and take care of your family's needs. And remember, you know what I mean? I think part of this conversation has nailed it right to the T, and that is no one has a right to come between a doctor and a patient. And if a doctor recommends something to somebody, I say everybody else, stay the you-know-what out. All right, so you've tuned in. Join us on the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. 